Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Praise God. Welcome to another great Wednesday night, United, as we get into some wonderful things from the Word of God. I am excited about the things of God. I'm thankful. I'm grateful. Uh, I know Pastor Michelle talked some about it uh, this past Sunday, uh, but uh, I'm thankful for all that the Lord did in keeping us, keeping our properties in the Little Rock area, keeping our families, keeping our church family, keeping uh, our church property. Uh, no one in our churches suffered damage. Uh, no one in our churches suffered uh, any injuries, and we're thankful. I've been thanking the Lord for that every day, every time I think about it, uh, because, uh, you know, the, the greatest show of gratitude is thankfulness, all right? If, if, if you, are, if you are, uh, want to show your gratitude constantly, uh, tell the Lord how thankful you are for what He did for you, Amen. And uh, so we're thankful, we're grateful for all that God's doing and all that God is going to do. And uh, we want to go to Matthew 16 tonight and uh, continue on this that we have been looking at, the head and his body. Uh, This just keeps unfolding uh, before us. And what we're finding as we get into this series is that we're learning more and more how to live the life that God called us to live, how to live the overcoming life. And this is so important because, um, you know, for years, the church has taught, you know, people that they should live above sin, that they should, you know, and they've taught a lot, you shouldn't sin, there's things you shouldn't do. And, of course, then you have people that say, well, you know, the church just has a list of do's and don'ts. Well, there are do's and don'ts in the church, but there's power to do the do's and power over the don'ts, all right? If you just tell someone, don't do that, and then you don't tell them how to have the power to not do that thing, you're doing them a disservice. You know, I'm not one of these type of parents that just believe, you know, it's okay to, uh, you know, if a child says, why can't I do that? And you just say, because. Well, I said that to Liliana one day, and she goes, because? What's that? That's not even an answer. Now, she wasn't being smart, but what I'm trying to say is she wanted to know why she couldn't do something. See, listen, this is is the important thing. When you tell a child no, and they say why, and you say because, You've left them in a vacuum, all right? You've not given them an option. If a child comes and says, "Um, can I go to Johnny's? They're having a get-together, all right? And you just say, no, you may not go. And he says, why? And you say, because, and you leave it at that. Now you've left him in a vacuum, all right? You've got to give alternatives. In other words, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But then it tells you and I as believers that we are not the servants of sin. 
So in other words, I don't have to be concerned about the wages of sin being death if I understand that I'm not the servant of sin. Amen. People will say, well, you know, without faith it's impossible to please God. Well, I understand that, but I have faith. See, I'm told also in the Bible I have faith. That I, each man has been given the measure of faith. That faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So I'm not locked in a vacuum. All right? Even in the natural, you always give your children another option, another alternative. Well, look, you can't go to Johnny's, but if you want to bring uh, Susie and Billy over here to watch some movies or play games or whatever, I'll spring for pizza and you guys can have your own get-together here. See, so you, you've said no because that's the wrong thing to do, but then you've given them options. Oh, hallelujah. Did do you see that? This is so important. And this is what good doctrine does. It explains to you what alternatives you have in the Scripture and the power you have to live out those alternatives. There are believers that you know and I know, they are locked in this mortal combat battle with sin, and sin just consistently overruns them, overrides them, defeats them, and what they need to understand is the power of the resurrected life that they have been given through Christ Jesus. All right? And so in Matthew 16, verses 16 through 18, Jesus makes the statement. Uh, actually, Peter, it starts off with uh, what Peter said. Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you. And I say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, the rock of the revealed knowledge of who I am, I will build my church, and notice the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hallelujah. So the fact that you recognize me as the Lord head of the church, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that was to come, you recognize that. He said, upon this revelation of who I am, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Remember, I've said at the beginning of each of these lessons, these messages, that the Lord asked me, why will the gates of hell not prevail against the church? And the word prevail means to overpower or to be strong to the detriment of another. Hallelujah. And Jesus said the gates of hell would never be able to overpower or be strong to the detriment of the church. And then we ask the question, why? Well, let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to spend some more time in Ephesians tonight. Because the book of Ephesians, in my estimation talks more about the power, the victory, the overcoming nature of the church than any other book in the Bible. It deals with the local church and the people in the local church. Ephesians 1, 21, and it talks about where Christ has been seated, and it says, He's been seated far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, and every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and that he has put all things under his feet and give, gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Hallelujah. The Amplified Bible says, He has been appointed the supreme and universal head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
in that body, in us, in the body of Christ, notice what it says, lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and fills everything everywhere with himself. So we've said throughout this series that the number one reason that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church is Christ is the head of the church and we are his body. Christ is the head of the church and we are his body. The same power in the head is in the body. The same power in Christ is in his body. In the body, the church, notice, it says lives the full measure of Christ. So we're vitally connected to Christ. The life that is in him is the life that is in us. Oh, glory to God. So in that body, in the church, lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete, fills everything everywhere with himself. So in the church, in the body of Christ, lives the full measure of Christ. Now let that sink in. The full measure of Christ. It, I think this is so important. Uh, uh, you, and, and there are people that could say, well, it's just, it's just a definition of terms. No. Notice He doesn't say, in the church lives the full measure of Jesus of Nazareth. It says, in the church lives the full measure of Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. In other words, the same anointing that flowed through Christ flows through the church. Now, understand this. Members individually do not have the full measure of Christ. But the body collectively does. That's why when he said to the disciples, greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father, he was speaking to them, but he was speaking uh, uh, more broadly to the church, that the church universal would do greater works than he did because he was going to the Father. In the church, in this entity called the church, the body of Christ, lives the full measure of the anointed one and his anointing. That's why when you hear somebody talk about the weakness, the powerlessness, the basic uselessness of the church, the listlessness of the church, the fact that the church is, is, is weak, backslidden, cold, apathetic, whatever you, they want to say, you have to know that is wrong because in that body that they're calling weak, lazy, apathetic, powerless, amen, lukewarm, backslidden, in that group lives the full measure of the anointed one. Glory be to God. Amen. In the church resides the full measure of Christ. The Phillips translation says in that body lives fully the one who fills the whole universe. Mm. The fullness, the New English Bible says, the fullness of him who himself receives the entire fullness of God. So any issue that's in the church does not stem from a lack of power. Does not stem from a lack of power. Hallelujah. I've run into ministers in the past. We need to pray for the power. I know there was one minister some number of years ago that his favorite saying was, we need to read the red and pray for the power. 
You mean the power that's already been given? The power that already resides in the church? Understand something. The issue is yielding to that power. That's the issue, yielding to the power. Not not the issue of power, yielding to the power. Amen. Now, what is that power? This is the question. What is that power? And then secondly, how great is that power? What is it and how great is it? Well, let's look at Ephesians 1, verse 16. And this is the prayer that the Apostle Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus and, in fact, every believer. And he says that he does not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, this is important. Because I need the spirit of wisdom and revelation, all right, in the knowledge of him to to understand some things. In other words, there's things he's going to say after this that I need this ability to understand. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, and he starts here with this list, that you may know, number one, What is the hope of his calling? Your calling as believers. What is the blessed hope? What is the hope? What's the the future? What's the picture of your calling as believers? And how rich the glory, how rich is the glory which is his inheritance in the saints? Now notice, you need the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, to understand that. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believes, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and sat him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now I'm going back over this. I'm being redundant for a reason. He says that you need the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that your eyes need to be Uh, of your understanding need to be enlightened so that you can know the exceeding greatness of his power that is towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And you need to be able to understand and have the knowledge that it was the same power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Glory to God. The Phillips translation says, and how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. Now see, when I read that, I ask myself then, is that power available to me in God? Because I've got to understand that. And so then you say, that power, that same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to me, it's set aside for me, It's available for me to yield to right now. Hallelujah. The Good Speed translation says, and how surpassingly great his power is for us who believe. Well, when it says surpassingly great, it surpasses anything 
that you can face. It surpasses anything that you can deal with. It surpasses any issue that you may have in your life. There is surpassingly great power available to the believer, to the church. Hallelujah. And Paul states right there in verse 19 and 20 that this power is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You know, I think sometimes we as believers, we know that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the foundation stone of Christianity. I taught that last Sunday. I'll teach it again this Sunday. That's the foundation stone of Christianity. We know Christ raised from the dead, rose from the dead. And I don't know that we ever stopped to think about how much power had to be exerted to raise him from the dead. Well, that was a God thing. You know, God did it. Yep, God did it. But see, when you think that way, you limit and you minimize the power that's at work within you. Hallelujah. I taught one time on, on when the Bible talks here about the four different kinds of power or energy that were released when Christ was raised from the dead. All right, inherent power, abiding power, all these different powers, all right, because they're, they're illustrated here. If I don't understand the greatness of the power that was exerted when God raised Christ from the dead, I don't know what's available and at my disposal. See, think about this. Over the years, people have heard me talk about this, and there are people there tonight. You know this, and and there's uh, uh, one individual there tonight made this statement, and and here's why: because when we were when we were uh, living in that area full time before we started splitting time, when they said there was coming a snowstorm, one time they said snowmageddon. Snowmageddon is coming. That's what they said. And I began to speak to that storm and tell it to go around. And, I, and here was my basis. I said, because people need to be in church and we need together. And you go around us. And God is my witness. I watched the news that night. And they said the storm was coming our direction. And it just shifted direction and went the other way. Pastor Marie said one time, she said, she said that we haven't had a good snow since Pastor came here. Uh, I, amen. I learned how to speak to storms. And I've, I've, had people, I've had people say, you know, how do you build your faith to begin to believe to do that? I begin to be more and more, more and more cognizant of the power I have on the inside of me. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Amen. And, and there are people that will say, well, you know, you just, you know, you, you just had the storm in Little Rock and, and you know, there was some damage. I, I understand that. But I think, what if the believers hadn't been speaking to that storm? How much worse would it have been if the believers hadn't been speaking? I was on a run and I was carrying my phone in a, in a waterproof case because uh, Lily was with her grandparents, and I was on a run, and those warnings started coming out. 
I'd went to get Jim to go run with me, and he was in his shelter. And uh, I'm joking. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm running, and the phone's going off. Not just a tornado warning, a tornado watch. You say, what'd you do? I stopped running. I pointed to the sky and I said, you'll not have any, you'll not have anything to do with my home. You'll not have anything to do with our neighborhood. You go around us in the name of Jesus. I speak to you. I tell you to weaken. I tell you, I tell you to weaken in intensity. Amen. Hallelujah. You got, you, you, you've got to understand that when you realize the power that is within you as a believer, You'll speak to things because of the power you know that is within you. Glory be to God. Amen. The Montgomery translation says, as seen in the energy of that resistless might. As seen in the energy of that resistless might. The word working when it says which he wrought in Christ, or excuse me, verse 19, according to the working of his mighty power. The word working is the word energia, where, of course, where we get our word energy. In the New Testament, it's never used to describe any human power. It's not used to describe human power. They're always used to describe the action of some power which is beyond the power of man or this world. Oh, glory to God. The word describes action, strong and powerful. And here's the, here's, here's the key for me. And above all else, effective. It, it describes action, it describes strong and powerful, and above all, effective. So Paul states that this same active, strong, powerful, effective power resides in the believer. Glory be to God. So when, when you speak words of faith, when you declare what the Word of God says, it is strong, it is powerful, and it is effective. Because it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Glory to God. In the book of Philippians, chapter 3. When, when you really look at this and you really study this, what this does is it removes all room for excuses. Is what happens. Because I see what I have access to. And I see what belongs to me through Christ. And I see what really happened when the Father seated Jesus at his own right hand and gave us joint seating with him. In the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul is describing what he has done for the sake of Christ, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing on to those things that are ahead. And he says his goal in verse 10 is that he may know him, meaning Christ, and the power of his resurrection. 
we could say, that I may know Him, and that I may know the power of His resurrection, and that I might know the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death. The Norley translation says, and experience the power of His resurrection. I want to experience the power of His resurrection. So understand that in order to really know Christ, I have to know Him in the power of His resurrection. And I have to know Him in the fellowship of His suffering. Hallelujah. Now don't let that word suffering throw you. We'll, we'll delve into that in a moment and explain it. But notice, He says, if I want to really know Christ, I have to know Him in the power of His resurrection. I have to know Him in the power of His resurrection. The Amplified Bible says, For my determined purpose is that I may know Him, that I may progressively become more and more deeply, intimately acquainted with Him, and that I may in the same way... Now notice. Notice how He said He wants to come to know Him. Progressively... More and more deeply, intimately acquainted. And then he says, and that I may in the same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection which it exerts over believers. Glory be to God. So Paul says, I can progressively become more and more intimately acquainted with this power that flowed out of his resurrection and how it exerts that power over believers. Glory be to God. So we're to become progressively more and more acquainted with Christ and the power that is flowing out of his resurrection. And the power that is flowing out of his resurrection. Now this is so important because Paul says something. When he talks about the fellowship of his suffering. Well, we know that his suffering is not sickness, disease, poverty, those things that are under the curse. The fellowship of his suffering is living conformable to the will of God, living like God wanted him to live and doing what God wanted him to do. The Bible says right here that we will need the power of the resurrection to live the life that God has called us to live. The reason why so many people have a problem living the life that God called them to live is because they're not living it in the power of the resurrection. They're not living it in the power that flows out of the resurrection. They're not becoming more and more progressively, intimately acquainted with the power that flows out of the resurrection. All of us are aware of what happened to us when we were born again. We were instantly born again. We were instantly made new creatures. We were instantly made righteous. We were instantly made holy. We were instantly made children, sons and daughters of God. And at that same moment, we were instantly giving the, given the access to the power that will help us live that life in that manner. I wasn't just made a new creature. I was given the power to live like a new creature. I wasn't just made righteous. I was given the power to live like I was made righteous. Glory be to God. Amen. A person that's in and out, up and down, bouncing back and to, they don't know the power that's in the resurrection. 
They've not become progressively more acquainted with it. A lot of people, the extent of the the resurrection power that they're familiar with is what happened to them when they were born again, which was powerful, which was supernatural. But then there's that power to live that life. And that comes out of knowing the power that's flowing out of his resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, And uh, verse 3, I dealt with this some Sunday morning. We'll deal with it some more this coming up Sunday, but it, it, it just fits right here. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3, Paul says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now here's what I want you to see. Christ's death and his burial are presented in the past tense. Christ died. Christ was buried. The resurrection is presented in the perfect present tense as an abiding power. In other words... The power that flowed when Christ rose from the dead is still flowing and in operation in the life of the believer. Right now, presently, as we speak, it's still flowing in the life of the believer. And he lets us know that the way we live an overcoming spiritual life is to live out of the flow of that resurrection life. To live out of the flow of of the resurrection life that's flowing on the inside of us. Most believers do not, many believers do not live their life cognizant of that. They'll, they'll hear stories of people like John Lake that would, would get up every day and look in the mirror and say, there is a man who God is living in. And you'll hear people say, oh yeah, praise God. Those, those old school guys, boy, they knew. No, they had a revelation of the resurrection life of God that was living on the inside of them. Amen. See, we, we quote these kind of verses. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ, where does the fullest measure of Christ reside? In the church. For the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ. Now stop, stop, stop and ask yourself a question. Why do you see so many believers that it appears that the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ is not flowing in their life in any great measure? Why are they not accessing it? Because they're not aware of it. They're either not being taught that it's there, that it's available to them, or they're being taught wrong about it. Amen. And that's why when, when we talk about John Lake putting his hand out there and they put that, that uh, black death, that bubonic plague, froth out of that corpse's mouth in his hand, and they examined it under the microscope, and that plague was dying. And he looked at them, and he said, that's the spirit of life that's in Christ. 
In other words, you know what he was saying? I am so full of the life of God, death cannot affect me. Glory to God. But how many believers do you know? They expect to be sick. They expect to get the flu. They expect to go through what the world goes through. They expect their kids to have allergies. They expect to go through the same things. I'm not being hard. What I'm saying is, if I come to realize that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of me, listen, why did he raise from the dead? Because life overcame death. Life overcame death. If I'm so full of the life of God on the inside of me, and death tries to attack my life, what's going to happen? Life in me is going to overcome death. Hallelujah. You keep thinking on it, you'll get it. Life in me will overcome death. Hallelujah. The way you hear many believers talk, the devil is on the same power level as God. Hallelujah. When the Bible tells us, and we've quoted it several times in these meetings, in, the, in, this, in this series, that the life that was in Christ overcame sin and death, and Hebrews 2.14 says the life that was in Christ shut down the devil, and brought him to zero. Hallelujah. Do you see this? And so the life that's in me overcomes the death around me. I have to access it. I have to access it. And and I, for one, am progressively pressing into that. Hallelujah. Notice Romans chapter 6. Because in reality, maturity, spiritual maturity, has much to do with realizing what belongs to you. That's the reality of it. The more more mature I am, the more cognizant I will be of the power that's in me. Because, you know, where where faith is concerned, for instance, there's hand-holding faith. that's That's what Peter operated with. When he stepped out of the boat, Jesus called it little faith. You know, he took Peter by the hand, walked him back to the boat, hand-holding faith. All right, that's get me started faith. But, but the Bible says there's exceedingly growing faith, that there is great faith. Well, where does great faith come from? Well, obviously it comes from the Word of God. What part of the Word of God? Every part of the Word of God. So what does that mean? I can have great faith in the power that resides on the inside of me. And the greater level of faith I possess where it's concerned will determine the outworking of it in my life. Glory be to God. Amen. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Now watch this. This is so important. How shall they that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now notice what it said. What did it say? That we are dead to sin. Do you not know that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ or are baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death that like, now notice, that like, that like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so, we should, uh, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, how many believers do you know say, yes, praise God, yes, hallelujah, I'm crucified with Christ, praise the Lord, on the cross I died with him, hallelujah, glory to God. Well, it says if we've been planted in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. That's not talking about sweet by and by catching away of the church. It's talking about right now. All right, let's, let's read it again. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, have we been planted together in the likeness of his death? Yes. What's the next step? We shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. The Amplified Bible says, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so we too might habitually live and behave in newness of life. Glory be to God. Woo, there's the glory. Habitually live. And behave in newness of life. Through how? The working of His glorious power. What did it do? It made you and I brand new. The Jesus that went into the grave is not the Jesus that rose from the grave. Hallelujah. Uh, understand that. Because when, when Jesus rose from the grave, he rose from the grave having defeated death and having defeated hell and having defeated sin. Hallelujah. He was the first man born again. Not because he had sin, not because he had to be saved from his sin, but he was the first man, the first man that died and was raised again. Why did he die? People will say, for our sin. Exactly. But what did he become when he died for our sin? He became sin. With whose sin? Our sin. Hallelujah. So he went to the, the place of the dead. He went to hell to pay for our sin. And then he raised from the dead. Hallelujah. In newness of life. In newness of life. And when you and I came to Christ, 
when we repented and we made Jesus Lord, in God's mind, we, were, we, were all, we had already been nailed to the cross with Christ. Everyone in the world has been. We were nailed to the cross with Christ. We had already died with, with Christ in God's mind. When we were born again and made Jesus Lord, we were raised from uh, glory. See, because before <laughs> Jesus died on the cross, and the Bible says you were nailed there with him because he paid the price for all humanity throughout the whole earth, throughout the whole world. And when you were born again, see, you were already dead. And when you were born again, what happened? You were raised. Raised in what? The newness of life. What power raised you from that spiritual death? Same power that raised Jesus from physical death. Glory be to God. Woo, that's shouting ground. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Boy, you, whoa, glory to God. Hallelujah. Do you see that? <laughs> and notice he said, we habitually live and behave in that power. Glory. So how do we live and behave in newness of life? Through the resurrection power that was exerted in us when we were raised from the dead spiritually. Verse 6, it says, Knowing this, our old man's crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. The Amplified Bible says, We know our old renewed self, unrenewed self, was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil, that we might no longer be the slaves of sin. Notice, I'm ineffective and inactive for evil through the power of the resurrection. It finds no home in me. Death can find no home in life. Glory to God. That's why the resurrection life of God right now is driving sickness out of your body. Right now, the resurrection life of God is driving sickness out of your body. It's, it's driving that blood disorder out of your body. It's driving that heart issue out of your body. It's driving that possible cancer diagnosis out of your body. Why? It's the life of God on the inside of you. And if that life of God can resurrect, your, can resurrect you and cause you to be born again and cause you to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things were done away with. All things have become new. If that life can overcome spiritual death, that life can overcome any form of death that the curse tries to bring into your life. Glory to God. Any form of death. Hallelujah. Whew. I preach myself happy. Ha. <laughs> Verse 9 says, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death has no more dominion over him. For that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, oh now look at that, likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So he says, likewise, even so, the Amplified Bible says, consider yourselves to be dead to sin 
and your relation to it broken, but alive to God in unbroken fellowship with Him. So notice, our relation to sin was broken through the power of the resurrection. If our relation to sin was broken, our relation to death is broken. It was the law of sin and death. We have to consider ourselves dead to that power and alive unto God through the resurrection power. Glory be to God. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church because the power of sin has been broken over the believer. And you know, when I talk about the power of sin, I don't just mean wrongdoing in the sense of lying, cheating, stealing, committing adultery, things of that nature. I'm talking about the power that sin exerts over the believer. And when we talk about the power that sin exerts over the believer, we're talking about the power of the original sin. Adam's rebellion. That brought the curse. Hallelujah. Any, any, any part of the curse is the power of sin. Because sin allowed it in the earth. Doesn't mean that if somebody's sick, they're sinning. Or that there's sin in their life. What it means was sin opened the door for that part of the curse to come into the earth. Now, think about this. If sin opened the door to the curse and the power of sin's been broken over your life, what else is broken over your life? The curse. Hallelujah. So where sin originated from, or where the curse has been uh, uh, originated from, has been defeated, has been destroyed. And what's the Bible tell you that you should do? Live like it's been destroyed. Live like it. Reckon yourselves, notice what it says, the Amplified Bible says, consider yourselves dead to sin and your relation to it broken. Huh? My relation to sin's been broken. And if it's been broken, the curse can't operate. The curse cannot successfully operate in an environment full of the life of God. And I'll remind you that the Bible says in the church is the fullest measure of Christ. Glory be to God. That's powerful. That's powerful. That's victory. That that is how you obtain and maintain victory. My goal, my job is to prevent you present you perfect to Christ. And the way I do that is by teaching you that there are things that you have a right to and things that you have a right to overcome. My brother, sister, you have a right to overcome all the power of the enemy. You have a right to overcome every sickness. You have a right to overcome poverty. You have a right to overcome sin. Every day of your life, habitually and always, because the life of God's on the inside of you. The resurrection life of God himself. And that's why we hear stories about people looking in the mirror and saying, there's a man that the life of God is in. See, I've told you for years, you can do the same thing because the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwells in you. 
Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands for a moment. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you for this understanding of the power of God that's flowing through us. Thank you that now we are seeing even clearer why things must change in the life of the believer. Thank you for that in the name of Jesus. And we praise you and glorify you in Jesus.